You're listening to the How to Talk to Girls podcast, where you'll learn step-by-step how to meet and seduce beautiful women, whether you're looking for one night of fun, a week-long fling, or a long-term relationship. I'm your host, Trip, and the episode starts now. Hello and welcome to the How to Talk to Girls podcast. I'm your host, Trip Kramer from tripadvice.com. Welcome back to another episode where we're doing an interview. If you've been listening to the most recent episodes, you've noticed I haven't done an interview in a while. But finally, I found someone who was absolutely worth interviewing. His name is Dr. Robert Glover. If you don't know him, and if you do, then you're probably very excited for this interview. And if you don't, let's just say he's the godfather of helping guys destroy, eliminate, get rid of the nice guy syndrome. What is the nice guy syndrome? Well, we talk about it on the podcast, but the nice guy syndrome, I'll give you a little breakdown right now, is when you're acting like a nice guy all the time and you're doing things to appease others, being a people pleaser, trying to get other people to like you. And what happens? It doesn't really get you far with women. That's because being a nice guy and trying to just be appeasing a woman all the time and agreeing with the woman all the time and not being who you actually are is not very attractive. It's not very polarizing. So even though you're being this nice guy and just because you're being good doesn't mean that a woman's going to like you. It doesn't mean you have to be an asshole, by the way. It just means you have to have your own personality. You have to stand out and be who you are and not try to accommodate others. That's not the way to get people attracted to you. We'll break down how you can actually get women attracted to you by destroying this nice guy. So we'll be talking about that specifically in this interview, which again, very excited about. Uh, Robert Glover is really a smart guy and he explains things in such a simple way for you to understand. So I highly suggest, which you'll hear me say a few times in the interview, to get his book called No More Mr. Nice Guy, which is available on Amazon a very good read. And if you are a nice guy, it's going to help you out tremendously so you can become your own person. Now, if you're interested in working with a coach on the nice guy syndrome, let me help you out. What we can do is you and I can work together and we can actually implement some of the steps for you to help you get rid of the nice guy and more importantly, go out there and attract women. So if you're interested in receiving coaching from me so we can get you on the track to meeting and attracting the women that you're interested in in your town, please go to coachedbytrip.com and there you can apply for us to work together. When you apply, please fill it out as full as possible detail. I do read every single application that comes through and I'm here to help you. So if you're interested in coaching, go to coachedbytrip.com. I have people apply almost every day and if you apply, and I think that I can help you. I will reach out to you. So go to coachbytrip.com right now. All right, without further ado, here's the interview you've been waiting for with Dr. Robert Glover. All right, hello, Dr. Robert Glover. You're a doctor. What kind of doctor are you, by the way? I'm, I'm, not, <laughs> I'm not one of those kind of doctors that'll do you any good. Actually, I've got a PhD in marriage and family therapy. Ah, okay. Very nice. Very nice. Well, listen, I know we said this before. We just started this episode, but I just have to repeat it again for the guys who are listening. It's an incredible honor to be able to interview you today. I was saying to you earlier that I read your book, No More Mr. Nice Guy, which is you know what, what got you here on this podcast. I read that book in about 2000, I think it was 2008, 2009. And it really blew my mind because it was it was speaking right to me. And it gave me a little cozy feeling inside knowing that, oh, there's other people who have this nice guy syndrome, which you have been able to describe perfectly and then give some solutions in terms of how to not be that nice guy anymore. So anyways, my point is, thank you for writing this book. Thank you for coming on this podcast. And it's like, to me, you're like a little celebrity in my eyes, you know, just like, wow, I get to interview this guy who I learned from, who I never thought I would be able to then interview on a podcast of my own here talking about this topic. And it's just so great to have you. So thank you very much for your time. 
Thank you, Trip. I'm I'm honored to be here. I'm smiling from ear to ear, hearing your kind words, and uh, I'm excited to talk to you. I know we're gonna have fun. Awesome. So cool. Okay. Wow. I don't even know where to begin. I'm just gonna. I'm gonna begin here, guys. If you're listening right now and you have labeled yourself as a nice guy, and I think Robert maybe will have you give your little definition of what that means in just a second. But if you've labeled yourself as a nice guy, or you are listening to this episode and you think, whoa, this describes me, or if you're getting anything from this episode, I highly suggest go to Amazon. I believe if that's what you think is the best, Dr. Robert, and go to Amazon and get No More Mr. Nice Guy. The book is amazing. It's it, it will change your life like it did mine and a lot of other men. So go there and check it out. Dr. Robert Glover, No More Mr. Nice Guy. So Dr. Robert, it's funny. I keep saying that. I'm a, I'm a big Beatles fan. So I keep saying Dr. Robert, like the song keeps going on in my head. Yeah. Well, just call me Robert. That's fine. And we might as well wrap the interview up now since you've already put the plug in for the book. I, I mean, yeah, the what else is thank you very about, much. Right? And we'll see yeah. you next time. Exactly. So um, thank you. Yeah, I'll just add a plug. And while they're there, you know, uh, look for my new book, Dating Essentials for Men. They'll find that on Amazon as well. Cool. Awesome. Yeah, we'll talk about that as well. So, all right. The nice guy, your definition. What is it? Who is the all nice right. guy? Here's, the, here's just the elevator spiel definition. A nice guy is basically a man. We're, we're mainly talking to men, I assume. But this we applies are. to women as well. But I'm going to focus in on men because that's really been my work for years. A nice guy is a guy who doesn't believe he is okay just as he is. And th- this, this might not be something he's thinking all the time, but it's a deep emotional belief. It's something he internalized usually at a very early age, inaccurately from various life experiences. And I can go, I can go more into, into that in a little bit, the kind of the child development aspect of that, of how we internalize our paradigms, our belief systems about ourselves and the world. But because the nice guy doesn't believe he's okay just as he is, he believes he has to become what he thinks other people would want him to be in order to be liked, loved, and get his needs met. And he has to hide anything about himself that he believes other people might negatively react to. They might, they might reject him for, they might get mad at him, they might punish him, they might leave him. So basically, a nice guy is inherently inauthentic and he's inherently uh, not himself because he's always consciously or unconsciously trying to figure out how to be what he thinks everybody around him wants him to be, to be accepted and be liked and get his needs met and hiding anything from them that he thinks might get a negative reaction. And uh, we, we can dig further into how those belief systems develop and how they manifest, but that's just a, a real quick core definition of it. It's manipulative, isn't it? It's, it's inherently manipulative. I, I hope we get to talk about what I call covert contracts, which is something I, I talk about in No More Mr. Nice Guy. But pretty much everything a nice guy does is trying to manage people and situations in order to get what he wants, to avoid conflict, to have a smooth world, to get his needs met. And again, it is, is very inauthentic. And what is so paradoxical, and I address this in the very first chapter of No More Mr. Nice Guy, is it because of the term you use is manipulative and, and you know, is, is trying to manage people and situations. Um, nice guys are often anything but nice. They're fundamentally dishonest. You can't really trust anything about a nice guy. You, you know, he'll, he'll kind of have this appearance or show you this thing, but he's really thinking or feeling or wanting to do this other thing. Or he'll say one thing because he thinks, well, that's what will make you approve of me or not say this because you might disapprove of it. And, and so again, going back to just an inherent, inauthentic quality, a dishonesty, and a not-so-niceness. And, and again, that's something else we can dive more into as well. That while nice guys are, are, are often trying to consciously be the, you know, the nicest guy in the room, trying to be different from the other bad men they've heard their mothers or women complain about, Fundamentally, they're very untrustworthy. So then, why is it why are they called the nice guys? Why, where does that term even come from? <laughs> because we call ourselves that. <laughs> you know, if you had met me thirty years ago, I probably began my own journey of kind of nice guy discovery around twenty-five years ago. I was in my early thirties, and um, if you met me thirty years ago, I would have told you I'm a nice guy. I'm one of the nicest guys you ever want to meet. And where that came from for me was a few places. One is that my father was a fairly um, 
moody, narcissistic, selfish, critical man. And my mother told me as a young man, she was raising me to be different from my father. I didn't want to be like dad. I had more of my mother's temperament, more of the easygoing, peaceful, keep the peace, avoid the conflict. So I was trying to be different from my father, meaning I'll be, I'll be the nice guy. I'll, I'll listen to my mom talk about her problems. I won't be selfish. I won't be angry. I won't be critical. I'll, I'll treat people well. I won't hurt people. Uh, I'll be generous. Now, there's nothing wrong with being generous and helpful and loving and listening. But when we're doing it to get our sense of identity and our sense of value, and in that manipulative covert contract way, that if I do these things for you, then you will like me and approve of me. And if you're a woman I desire, you'll want to be my girlfriend and have sex with me. And you know, if I help you make your car payment or drive you places you need to go, then you'll meet my needs without me having to ask. So we think we're being nice and we, and we think that's a, a, a positive thing. But again, if, if it is based on a falsehood that we're doing it because it gives us our identity that we think is valuable, if it, if it gives us that sense of value, if it has strings attached to it, it, it's not so nice. And the nice guys get pretty angry eventually, don't they? I've, I've heard that. Yeah, I, I think that yeah. what happens is they, and I'm sure you can speak to this as well, is they're so nice for so long. And then something happens where they've been so nice and the person that they're with, maybe it's a friend or maybe it's a woman that they're dating, does something where they don't, acknowledge their niceness, they get really angry at the fact that they've been, you know, this nice person the whole time. And and really it's interesting because they're doing it because they think that's what the person wants. They're yes. just doing it to get them to like them. So really it's almost irrational for them to get angry at something, something like that at the very least, because they're thinking that that's what they're supposed to do when no one ever really asked for that. Yeah, you, you, you get it. You, you've described it well. And my own journey of nice guy recovery, as I said, began in my early 30s. I was in my second marriage. And uh, oh man, I, I, I married a woman who, who you know, after, after 14 years of marriage and you know, finally got out of that 2002, realized she was what would be called borderline personality. Angry all the time, moody, changing personality. And I never knew from minute to minute, you know, really what her temperament was going to be. And I uh, mean, I just worked overtime trying to please her, make her happy, never rock the boat with her, avoid conflict, to try to get her to want to have sex with me. And yeah, I was just, I was working overtime, trying again, trying to make her like me, love me, want to have sex with me, never get mad at me. Uh, you know, I was trying to be a good man. I was raising her kids. I was being a better man than her ex-husband and on and on and on and on. And yeah, what would happen is I do all this giving to get, and then my resentment would build up when I didn't feel like I got the appreciation in return or the sex or you know the, the wife in a good mood, which is what I wanted most. And when I didn't get that back in return, that built up, it built up, it built up. And it would tend to come out in two different ways. And this is, this is you know, kind of backtracking how my nice guy recovery began. My, my second wife basically said, I can't live with you, you know? I, you have to go work, get some help because everybody thinks you're such a nice guy and you can treat me really well. And then, then you'll either get passive aggressive. I'll talk more about that in a minute, or you'll blow up and have a victim puke that I didn't see coming and you're not so nice. And said, I can't live with it. Should I'd rather be with an asshole because at least I know an asshole is going to treat me bad all the time. It's consistent. I'm never surprised. She said, with you, you know, I think everything's fine. Everything's good. And then without me even knowing what happened, you're not talking to me or you put me down or you, you, you poke at me or you embarrass me in public or you blow up at me or you bring up all kinds, you say hurtful things. And uh, I thought, well, okay, I, even though I wasn't real happy in my marriage, she was beautiful, so I didn't want to lose her. And so I went to therapy and, and luckily I fell in with some really good therapists and some really good groups and programs that, that helped me on my road to recovery. But those two things, those two manifestations of nice guy anger. The first is the passive aggressiveness. And this is often unconscious, but it's usually an indirect roundabout expression of anger where we've, we've given to get, we've done things for the other person. They either haven't appreciated us or 
they didn't give us what we wanted or they hurt us and we didn't say anything or didn't set a boundary. And, and then without realizing it, because we can't get angry, we're nice guys, it comes out in this indirect way. Like I said, the biting humor, the jab, the poke, the put down, the, the revealing something in public, the embarrassing them, the not following through on things we promised we would do. The, there's a lot of different ways it can get expressed. And because it is often unconscious, it can be kind of hard to, to nail down. But, and, and that's a really big reason why people, you know, want to like a nice guy. But then, you know, when there's no authentic self to get close to, that makes it hard. And when, like, they're least expecting it, he does something that kind of, like, jabs them, pokes them, you know, says something that's hurtful or, oh, I, I didn't mean it or I'm just kidding. That's the passive-aggressive behavior. The victim pukes, on the other hand, are when, like I said, we've been giving to get our covert contracts. We're keeping score. I've done all this for you. You haven't done anything back for me. You don't appreciate me. You never want to have sex. You're always angry. I do this. You never do that, blah, blah, until like something happens and just like it all comes puking out of us. And it, it, it's not pretty. And because, because nice guys aren't very experienced fighters, we, we kind of fight dirty. You know, we bitch slap, we hit below the belt, we sucker punch. It's not pretty. And it was actually my second wife that coined the term victim puke. And, and I remember that there'd be these times where the stuff that came out of my mouth would even surprise me, you know, how, how venomous it was, how hurtful it was. And, you know, when we kind of got through it, I remember a time she would ask me, so how long have you been thinking these things? How long has this stuff been building up in your head. And, you know, I kind of ponder and I don't know, three months, six months, a year. <laughs> and she would ask, and in that time, it never crossed your mind that maybe you should just tell me that you were upset at me or tell me you wanted more appreciation or tell me that hurt when I did X. I go, actually, no, it never crossed my mind. I should just tell you. Nice guys are too scared I, I, I was to do that, I think. Yeah, I mean, that might cause conflict that somebody might get upset at us. It might rock the boat. They might leave us because we did something that, that made them unhappy. Right. And so then they have to... And, and I really, I, I want to just rewind for a second. I love that you said this give to get. I think to me, that feels like that is almost like a huge... Like that line right there, that phrase is a huge summary of what we're talking about here with the nice guy, which it, is what it makes is. him not nice. That they're, it, they're only doing things to get things, not to actually be a genuine person. Yes. And, and, and the, but the problem is they're actually, they, we are usually not conscious of that. And I can still slip into it. I'll catch it. And, and the reason I catch it is anytime I start feeling resentful or done to in any relationship, I've been looking at this stuff for long enough in my life to go, Huh, wait a minute. Where where am I caught up in 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 a covert contract? Where am I caught up in giving to get? Where am I caught up in caretaking? And I have to take a step back and look at it because there there are telltale signs that, that this is happening. So, would you be okay if I talk a little bit about the covert contract and explain what those are? Yes, please. Okay, let's let's do that cuz it's the fundamental of how nice guys give to get. And I I talk about this in the book, but uh, I'm going to give it to a clearer version than even what's in the book. Nice guys, most nice guys operate from three fundamental covert contracts. And as you've already said, they're all about giving to get. They're all if-then propositions. If I do this, then you will do this. Now, we have these with people on the highway. We have them with people in the grocery store. We have them with family. We have them with you know, women in general, with our partner, co-workers, our boss, our employer, with God. You know, and, and, and usually we're not real conscious. That's, that's why they're called covert contracts. We're not always aware of them. And for sure, nobody else is. So covert contract number one is if I'm a good guy, then I will be liked and loved. Now, Nobody is universally liked and loved, but nice guys really believe if I'm just, if I'm nice, you know, if I treat everybody well, if I do things for them, if I'm always smiling, if, you know, I, you know, listen to the talk about the problems, if I'm a nice guy, if I'm nice, then I will be liked and loved. Now, as we already said, because the nice guy paradigm makes him so inauthentic, it's actually kind of challenging to get close to a nice guy. 
I call them in the book Teflon men. And, and I say that, you know, people don't, don't connect around people's smooth edges. They, they connect around people's rough edges. I mean, my, my best friends all have rough edges and they like me for my rough edges, not how I'm so smooth and correct and proper. So what happens with nice guys, and this is where a lot of resentment, especially towards women come in. So since this is a, a podcast aimed at men and their interactions with women, and I've, and I've even read articles online uh, about this type of thing of women writing about it, about the nice guy not being so nice because of his covert contract. Well, I did this for you and, you know, and I, I listened to you and I took you places and I, I was your good friend. Now you should want to have sex with me. If I do this, then you should. And, and then, then the, you know, the rage comes out towards the women and, and like my ex-wife, that catches them by surprise and they don't know the contract was even there. They've just put us in the friend zone because we're acting like a friend. And then they didn't even know we wanted to have sex with them or wanted them to have sex with us. So this is one way that, that men, especially nice guys, build up a lot of rage towards women. And, you know, just go, I'm sure you spend some time online in, in manosphere type forums. There's a lot of rage towards women out there. And primarily, it's because of these covert contracts, the giving to get. I did all of this for these women, and they just took advantage of me and treated me badly. And bottom line is, they didn't want to have sex with me. And that's why the guys are pissed off. But that's a covert contract. And again, the best way I, I know to pay attention to if you have a covert contract is if you're feeling resentful and done to. You've been giving to get. Right. So that's covert contract number one. Covert contract number two. If I meet everybody else's needs without them having to ask, then they will meet my needs without me having to ask. Now, there's, there's many flaws in this particular give to get. One, you've already mentioned that often the people we're giving to don't really need us to give to them. We're giving to them what we need to give to them in order to get their approval and validation. And because we think they're broken and only it, we can fix them. So, a lot of times what we're giving, they didn't ask for, they don't want. Our resentment does build up when they don't recognize our needs and give back or don't appreciate enough what we've given to them. But the, another problem is the other people involved, whoever it is, don't even know there's a contract. They don't know that whatever we've done has these really high expectations that now it's your turn to read my mind and know what I need and give me my needs without me ever having to ask you. Now, again, that doesn't work so well. Now, a third problem that enters into to this particular covert contract is that in general, nice guys are terrible receivers. We're actually not very good at receiving. And I've had many women I've been in a relationship with tell me how difficult I am to give to. I've actually had to work at letting people give to me and do things for me. It makes me uncomfortable. And that's true for a lot of nice guys. We think we're bad. We think we're, we're going to be in trouble. We think we're being too demanding. We're taking up too much space. We're going to you know, owe them something. So nice guys are terrible receivers. But all the while, we're giving to get back what we're actually very uncomfortable receiving. So that's covert contract number two. No, what, covert I want, contract. I want to dive deeper into that. Let's do it. Why, why uh, I'll, I'll, I'll come back to number three when we get done. Yeah. So let's do it. Yeah, I just want to understand more about why is it so difficult for the nice guy to receive? Like, like let's get inside the nice guy. He's about to receive something. He's about to get a gift. He's about to get sex, whatever it is. You know, what is it that he's uncomfortable about? What's making him feel uncomfortable? All right, I, I've got a, a, some theories about that and I'll share them with you. I, I, my number one theory is that for most nice guys, when we were young, and this is when we internalize these belief systems, this, this, this kind of world map, this paradigm of who we are and how we fit into the world. We usually develop part of the internalization of this nice guy paradigm happens in a family context where we think we will be valued by being fairly needless and wantless. I, I, this was true for me, and I've heard a lot of nice guys tell me you know, they always tried to never be a moment's problem. You know, in the case of, of my family, because my father was so demanding. Well, I didn't want to be like that. I didn't want to put more burdens on my mother. My mother had, you know, was raising four kids. When my, I was the second of the four. And my, when my younger brother, the youngest, came along, it seemed like he was real demanding. So I was like the only male in the family who did not put any demands on my mother. And 
it felt like I, I, I would be like the bad man if I actually, you know, had needs or, you know, received anything. Now, I, I think there's other things that go with it. I, I think there's this kind of unconscious fear that if we let people give to us, we're in their debt now, we'll owe them something. Nice guys don't like being in that kind of emotional debt. We'd rather be, you know, the one that people owe everything to. Maybe the bottom line is, as I've already said, most of us are really uncomfortable letting people get close to us. Just, you know, kind of get up inside us. That's deep. Um, that, that, that scares us. Uh, we're afraid of, you know, what they might find. We, we already don't believe we're okay deep inside. So if we, if we let anybody get close to us, they might find out just how un, un-okay we believe that we are. And, and maybe one more piece of this is that, you know, maybe at some level, since like I said, this is all manipulative, we're wanting to, to control and manage the scenario. And one of the things I ask nice guys, I'll say, okay, how does it make you feel when, when you can do something nice for somebody, when you can, you know, give them something or help them out in some way? And guys, the nice guys will say, well, it makes me feel good. And I go, of course it does. And I said, how do you think it makes other people feel when they can do something for you? when they can, you know, help you out in some way. Well, I guess maybe it'll make them feel good too, but we don't, we don't really get that. And I said, well, who are you then to rob other people of this thing that makes them feel good by you being needless and wantless? You actually, you being needless and wantless and a bad receiver is actually robbing other people of the good feelings of being able to give to you and actually have a sense of connection and bonding with you. Like most nice guys are pretty perplexed by that. And, and I, then I give them the example, and you know, I'll, I'll, I'll be a little bit crass here, but I, I think our audience can handle it. Yeah. When, when, I, when I got divorced, my, as I said, my, my second wife, we had an affair. That's how we got together. So it was highly sexual. On our honeymoon, she, she announced, uh, aren't you glad now that we're married, we don't have to pretend to like sex anymore? And I thought, oh, wait a minute, I wasn't pretending. <laughs> you know, I left my career, my, you know, my, my first wife and my two-year-old son to be with you because you know, I, we were having great sex. And this is my, my nice guy days before any kind of recovery. And so, so that, that sexual relationship was never very good through 14 years of marriage. Well, then I got out and got to be single. And I got with a lot of women who were really sexually expressive, who really, you know, like to give sexually, give of themselves, give to, to me. And that actually, you know, made me really uncomfortable. It made me anxious. And I realized, okay, that's my core, that's a core issue for me. And if I don't actually practice letting people give to me and letting women give to me, I'll never get what I want in life. You know, I'll be stuck in this giving to get, but never getting anything back trap that I was in. And the kind of crass example that I give is that I, I met a number of women while I was single who took great pride in giving head. They were proud of their blowjobs. And, and you know, I, you know I, I quickly could see that, you know, that they, they, you know, really wanted to make a good impression on me with how well they, you know, could go down on me. And it dawned on me that who am I to take away their great pleasure and, you know, their, their need to, to impress me with their skill set. So as, as kind of comical as it sounds, I actually had to practice letting women give to me in sexual ways and other ways. I had to consciously just relax, sit back, enjoy it. And even as I talk about it, I hear this voice in the back of my head. Well, if you sit back and enjoy it for too long, they're going to get pissed off because you're not giving something to them. Even as I'm talking to you, that voice still is back there. So it's such a challenge for nice guys to just relax and let people give to them and let them be close without that thinking, all right, now I got to give something back to keep this thing even. So for if, if the guys listening to this, I mean, if they can relate to this part, the two pieces of advice I typically get is no, gives, number one, start practicing giving to yourself. Take good care of yourself. Go to the doctor, go to the dentist, you know, go get massages, get a personal trainer, you know, spend a little money on yourself, eat healthy, drink enough water, get enough sleep. Those are all you giving to you. Those are all the things you do that say you're valuable, right? And number two, practice asking other people to give to you and practice letting people give to you. And it, it might be a, a lot more challenging than you think because it has been for me. I still struggle with it. 
I'm married again. My wife and I are approaching our third anniversary. She's Latina. I live here in Mexico. She is like the most giving, nurturing person I know. And, you know, she'll do things for me. And like, I'll say, no, no, you don't have to. You don't need to. Or she'll say, can I do this for you? Can I do that? No, 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 you don't need. And, and she says, that's how I show my love for you. Please let me do these things for you. And so I've had to learn. Yes, I'd be happy for you to iron all of my clothes, just not my underwears and socks. So she, <laughs> she irons all my clothing, my T-shirts even, and it gives her great job. I watch her. It's hard work. But I can't take that away from her because it's how she shows her love. That's interesting. You know, what really stuck out to me here is the nice guy, it's like it's not in his reality to understand that you can give in order to not receive, right? So his idea is I'm giving to get. Mm -hmm. So he doesn't understand the reality of giving to just be in the joy of giving and not feeling the need to receive, but just seeing the joy of the other person. So he's like, yeah. wait a minute. You can just give and and just that's it and just be happy because the other person's happy and not feel like they need to get something back. So I feel like that is because that's not in his reality, he doesn't understand it and therefore feels so uncomfortable in this whole proposition of wait a minute, this person's like, no, that's that's that can't be the case. Like almost he, he doesn't believe it because he doesn't understand it. You know, that is such a good point. And I never had quite, you know, massaged it in quite that way. But I, I, I agree with you that if for the nice guy, we only know how to think in covert contracts. I give to get. If anybody else is giving to us, not only does it maybe make us feel like that bad person that's taking up too much room, too much resources, but we then assume the other person must be operating from the same kind of covert contract. What am I going to owe them in return? It's probably better that I don't let them give to me or push them away than not know what it is I'm expected to be giving to them. So that you, you I, I think you've really hit the nail on the head with that. Yeah. Well, former nice guy here, so I think I, uh, I can definitely speak to it. You know, and another thing too is that must be one of the most uncomfortable things for for a nice guy is because first you said, you know, do something for yourself, which I think a nice guy can kind of think about that and go, okay, I can do that. And then you said the second thing you said, and then don't be afraid to ask someone for something that you want. You know, in this case, we can say maybe talking to a partner, someone that you're, you know, you've been with to ask for what you want. I think that is probably very scary for a guy to do. And, and, and I maybe want to dissect that for a second. Like, why do you think? Cause I know that guys are going to be scared to, a nice guy's going to be scared to do that. And in my opinion, I think it might be one of the scariest things for a nice guy to ask because they're going to assume that the person that they ask for something is going to be upset or, you know, because you're asking for something. So you're making yeah. the other person do work. And yeah. the nice guy wants to avoid that. That could be conflict. That person might yeah. not want to do that. That's scary. Putting demands on the other person. Right. In some of my online classes that I teach, I have several online classes, but one in particular, I tend to give an assignment. And the, the, the class is called Nice Guys Don't Finish Last. They rot in middle management. And it talks about how nice guys with all their nice guy behaviors tend to do well enough in the workplace and career, but tend to get stuck uh, for a number of reasons. And, and one of them is, is that we have a hard time asking. And so one of the assignments I'll often give during this class, uh, I'll, I'll tell people, uh, like every day for a week, ask three different people to do something for you that you can do yourself. Like, you know, if somebody's up, say, hey, while you're up, will you bring me a cup of coffee? Or, hey, would you mind making these copies for me? Or, you know, would you sharpen my pencil for me? Whatever. Ask three people to do something for you that you can do yourself with, without any explanation or, you know, other than just feel the anxiety associated with it. And this is an excruciating uh, assignment for nice guys. You're right. Uh, that asking people to do stuff for us probably goes down to that core thing for a lot of nice guys. Well, that makes me the bad man. That makes me the lazy man, the, the selfish man, the controlling man, the non-giving man. And, and most nice guys have been working their entire life to be different from some image of men that, that they have. It's their father, the bad men they've heard women complain about, some other jerk in the office place. Well, they don't want to be like that, that bad guy. 
So I would encourage the listeners to try that, whether they're single, in a relationship, have a job, live at home, whatever, three times a day for a week. Ask somebody to do something for you that you can do for yourself. That makes it doubly, triply, neurotically anxiety-producing for the nice guy. Now, I also want to share something that, that really caught me by surprise. And psychologically, it made sense. And I, and I came across this in an article a few years ago. And, and there's a name for it, and I've forgotten the name, but I think it was named after um, you know, one of our former presidents or signers of the Declaration of Independence. But basically, he said, asking people, asking someone to do something for you actually makes them like you more. And here's something that, you know, the opposite of that, I tell nice guys in my dating programs, doing things for women does not make them like you, which that kind of blows away most nice guys because our nice guy seduction you know, strategy is I'll do things for women. It doesn't make them like you. It's the logical thinking behind it that where guys think that. They think, yeah, oh, if I logical. do something for them, they will think I'm nice. They will be happy I did that. Therefore, I will like this person. But yeah, yeah as you're saying, they'll like it's me. Not true. But, but the psychological dynamic is if you ask somebody to do something for you and they do it, the, the human nature is our mind wants a cognitive congruence. Right. And so if somebody is doing something for you, their brain has to actually work in the background to say, well, you know, I I must like this person well enough to do this. And and even if you don't really have any strong feeling about them one way or another, your brain has to justify your behavior. You know, so if if you ask, you know, somebody around you, hey, will you do this for me? You know, bring me this or do this for me or whatever. And they do it, their brain is now actually working, saying, well, okay, yeah, they seem like a decent person. You know, I like them well enough. And believe it or not, continuing to ask people to do stuff for you builds that. And I, you know, paradoxically for most, again, as I said, for most nice guys dating, giving to, to women has the opposite effect. It doesn't make them like you at all. If anything, it just makes them take advantage of you because they'll go, oh, this guy will do this. I'll ask him. And the more they ask you to do stuff, the more you like them, right. um, kind of, until the resentment sets in. It's interesting, too, because you know I'm, I'm kind of picturing in my head, if someone asks me to do something for them, so what it does, and we were talking about this earlier, if someone asks you to do something and you do that for them, you are going to feel the joy of being able to complete the request yeah, to help that person out. So instead of a nice guy being like, they're going to be annoyed at me. They're not going to like me. I'm asking them to do something. I'm I'm causing up a stir. No, instead, it's it's like you said, it's the opposite. They're going to have that that joy of being able to fulfill that request, that favor, whatever it is that you needed them to do. Of course, it's probably an exception there if you're doing it all the time, and then yeah. it can get to the annoying part. But you know, we're just saying this kind of once in a while situation. And, and, as, as, and again, as, I get it. This is, sounds crazy. This sounds paradoxical and counterintuitive to the nice guy mind. I, I just keep testing you. I already mentioned my wife who loves to give. I'll just give you a quick exa- another quick example. I said, we live in Mexico. Uh, we have a big fence in front of our house and yard, kind of a courtyard to you know, keep bad people out. And when we have this big gate, we open and pull the, the car into the, the carport and then lock the gate. We do that at night. And the car usually is out on the street during the day. So frequently, you know, when I'd go out to open the gate and pull the car, back the car into the carport and close the gate up, it takes me all of two minutes. You know, it isn't challenging or difficult to do. Early in our marriage, my wife would say, would you like some help? Or would you like me to help you? And I'd frequently say, oh, no, I'm okay. You know, and just go do it. And then I'd come back in the house and like, she's not talking to me. You know, she's, she's kind of hurt. I'm thinking, what happened? You know, tip, you know, typical guy question, like when a woman you know, seems hurt. What now? What I do? Or as my wife has taught me to say in Spanish, okay. you know, what now? So I'd ask her and, and she says, well, you know, I offered to help and you didn't want me to. Well, I don't really need your help. I can, I can pull the car in by myself. And, I, you know, I'm, I'm dumb and I'm slow, but I'm not totally stupid. It quickly dawned on me. Oh, she just wants to help and get the pleasure of helping. And mainly, more than anything else, she just wants to be with me. That was just her way of saying, can I come do something with you? So I've actually learned. So now whenever I go, you know, if the car's out on the street and it's getting dark, I'll say, hey, I'm going to go pull the car in. Come help me. Or I'll say, you want to help? 
and you know, and and she'll she'll come do it. And I, I actually do that. I don't need her help, but I do it because she feels loved and she gets to feel connected to me while we I back. She stands out there with the open gate. I back the car into the carport, you know, and she closes the gates and locks them from the inside. It's a team effort that you know only requires one person, but it's a way that she gets to be with me and express her love. And that took me a while to, to catch on to that, and I'm still learning it. So. You know, your guys that are listening to this, keep paying attention to this. The, the, if, if you're needless and wantless and difficult to give to, that may be something that's really working against you in your ability to connect with people in general and with women specifically. And it, it actually is a greater turn on for women for you to ask them to do things for you. Now, as paradoxical as it sounds, I never bought woman, women drinks when I was uh, single, but I would request they buy me a drink. And um, guess what? If, if they do buy you a drink, they sit around and talk to you. <laughs> so it, it, it sounds weird for us men, but it's, it's worth practicing and it's worth keeping in mind. You know, I think that the guy who's listening, hopefully, is starting to get this, starting to understand uh, maybe even recognizing, holy crap, I'm the nice guy. This is definitely describing me. You know, what can this guy, let's just say he's single, because a lot of a lot of the people who listen to this are single. So what do you think are our first easy steps to start to recover from this nice guy mentality? Is it therapy? Is it the just step one awareness of wow, this is me and being aware of these nice guy thoughts. Where does a guy go from here if he's realizing I'm the nice guy and I don't want to be this way anymore? Okay, good question. And of course, that's what my book's about. I tell guys, you didn't become a nice guy in social isolation. You're not going to break free of it on your own. And that's a typical nice guy behavior is, you know, we kind of want to do everything alone. We want to figure it out alone. We want to solve problems alone, partly because we, we're really uncomfortable feeling vulnerable. So I tell guys, don't try to do it alone. And there's no right way to do it. But I started out by going to a 12-step group. And what I did in the 12-step group is just started revealing things about me that I'd always been, I'd be, I've never been comfortable enough to reveal. I started opening up and getting real, releasing what's called toxic shame. And I talk more about that in the book as well. This sense that I'm not okay. You know, the things I do make me unlovable. The things I do will make people not like me or think well of me. And so part of that was beginning to release that toxic shame. Uh, Another real big part, beginning my own nice guy recovery, was working at being honest and transparent. Most nice guys massage and shade and manipulate every truth. You know, we hide what we don't want people to know. You know, we, we, we only tell them what we do want them to know. We just out and out lie about stuff. And you use our way of lying. It's just, we don't say anything. We just cover it up and keep it underground. So I actually started working at just telling the truth. And an example would be, again, back when I was married and first beginning to, to like make these kind of changes, I realized I, I, I lied to my wife all the time. A lot of things I just didn't tell her because I didn't want to rock the boat. And then if she did ask about them, I'd, I'd tell it in the way that I thought would get the, the least negative reaction. So I decided to really confront that head on. So like a typical example would be she might call me when I'm at work and say, well, what time are you going to be home? And because I think she wants me home soon, I'd tell her the the time that I thought she wanted to hear. Uh, I'll be home at five. Even though I'm thinking I'm probably not going to leave my office till after five. But I'd tell her that because I thought that's what she wanted to hear. Then, you know, I'd leave the office at 5.30 or whatever. I have to drive home in traffic. And the whole way home, I'm making up a story as to why I wasn't home at five. And well, the traffic was just terrible. And, you know, there's this accident and I got caught at every light. And, you know, I'm just creating stories just again, because I don't want her to be upset. So what I started doing was I started telling on myself. When I caught myself in that routine, I, w- I would get home and I'd say, all right, I got some things to tell you. Number one, I told you a couple, li- I told you one lie. I knew I wasn't going to be home at five, but I thought you wanted to hear that. So I told you that. And I, I, I knew I wasn't going to leave till 5.30. While I was driving home, I was thinking up all kinds of lies to tell you as to why I was late. The truth is, I just didn't leave till 5.30. I was afraid to tell you that. And that's why I'm late. 
And, and she would like typically respond with, all I wanted to know is when you're going to be home so I could kind of time when to have dinner ready. And I go, <laughs> oh, okay. <laughs> but I would start just, just, you know, just telling, putting it all out there. And, and you know, 25 years later, I, I, I still try to make a practice of that where or my, one of my mantras is nothing hidden, nothing half-assed. I try to put everything out there where there's, there's no secrets. There's, and I tell people, there's nothing about me, nothing I've done, thought, you know, wanted to do that there isn't somebody on this planet knows about. I've told, I've talked about it. So learning to be honest and transparent and reveal yourself are really big parts of this. Some other big parts I, I really believe in and it was part of my own recovery is connecting with men. A lot of nice guys are isolated from men because we've been trying to be different from other men because we did not bond well with our fathers. Often we're intimidated by men. men. Nice guys will tell me that a lot. Well, I just don't have anything to connect with with guys because they only want to you know, drink and look at women and talk about sports and race cars. And I'll go, well, that's bullshit. Number one, I know a lot of men that are interested in a lot more things than that, but that's a story men will make up to let them off the hook for connecting with men. And what I found for a lot of guys, this was true of me as well, I was much more comfortable around women. You know, they kind of gave me that validation while I listened to them talk about their problems. And, oh, you're such a nice guy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. They never wanted to sleep with me, but, you know, they thought I was a nice guy. And even if they did want to sleep with me, I wouldn't have because I would have been too scared because I didn't let people do things for me. So connecting with men is such a big part of that. So I, I would say, you know, a direction is at the very minimum, find a coach, find a therapist, find a men's group, find a 12-step group. Find the Mankind Project. Do something that gets you out of your comfort zone, gets you around some safe people where you can start revealing yourself, releasing toxic shame, practicing being honest, practicing being transparent, practicing being vulnerable, practicing getting out of your comfort zone. Connect with men. Learn to trust men. Learn to do stuff with men. Learn to embrace your masculine self. And... I think that's a great start. You know, if guys can find a way to get going in that direction, that's a really good start. I love it. I love it. And if they want more ideas, of course, check out No More Mr. Nice Guy, which is on Amazon. And then you said you have another book that you came out with. What's that one? Okay. Dating Essentials for Men. Just can't, We are talking in uh, September of 2019. And uh, this book just came out in June of this year. Right now, it's available as ebook and Audible. Print version is not up yet. And it's, it's my experience of becoming a single man in my late 40s and having to learn how to date with having no clue of how to do it. And over the process of, of you know, finding good material and just practicing a lot of things, I, I got good at dating. And uh, my clients started noticing and they said, Robert, what are you doing? Teach us. I thought, well, I can't teach you. I'm, I'm not a dating guru. I, I'm, I'm a historically bad dater. So I actually started teaching some of my clients some of the things I was doing. I eventually put that into um, four four-week online courses that I taught for about 10 years. And then I took the core material of those courses, some other supplemental things, added some stuff to it and, and uh, put that into the book Dating Essentials for Men that is now available, as you say. And I refer to it as, as the non-pickup guide to dating. And um, it's not that you know I'm so down on pickup, even though I'm not necessarily a big fan of it, but it really talks about how to be your authentic, true self in a way that naturally attracts and draws women to you and how to challenge your self-limiting beliefs. I mean, a lot of psychological stuff in it, how to challenge your self-limiting beliefs, get out of your comfort zone, stretch yourself, set the tone, take the lead, and just you know some good psychology about what turns women on and what doesn't. Fantastic. I love it. That's great. Robert, thank you so much for being here and taking the time to do this interview. And really, I mean, this was great. This is not only just like a recap of some of the things that I've learned from you in the past, but I feel like I've heard some new stuff or things maybe I didn't remember that we went over. And I feel like this was super helpful and a reminder to me about the things that I need to do in my life to continue my journey of not being that nice guy and being more true to myself. Because as you're saying, you're going to win that way. And that's going to be better for you and everyone else. So thank you so much for being here and sharing some of your knowledge. And any last things you want to say to the guy who's listening? 
Well, you know, I, I probably better share what the third covert contract is, or you're going to oh, get, yeah. you're going to get a lot more. of emails. I promise you, the guys who listen to these kind of podcasts are going to go, wait, wait, he never got back to the third covert contract and they'll let you know. All right, quickly. And, and thank you. It's been a joy to be here and, and it's, it's been fun to talk about this, but third covert contract, the if then of the nice guy syndrome is if I do everything right, then I will have a smooth problem free life. And this also leads again to a lot of the nice guys' frustration because nice guys really do believe there is a magic formula for having a smooth, problem-free life where nothing goes wrong. Every woman you like likes you back. Uh, No woman ever gets upset at you. Your boss is never mad at you. You never lose your job. Your wife always wants to have sex with you. That world does not exist. But nice guys believe if, if they just, you know, or do everything right, you know, can, can check it all off. And they, of course, got the scoreboard in, you know, in their living rooms. Oh, I did this. I did this. I did this. I'm the good guy. I'm different than those bad men. I'm not toxic masculine. I'm this. I'm that. You know, everything should work right. And of course, number one, there's no way to do everything right. Number two, where, where's the rule book for that anyway? And where's the, the judge and referee? And number three, we don't live in a smooth, problem-free world. Life is chaotic and never-changing, and that's a good thing. So this leads to a lot of unnecessary suffering for nice guys as well, this belief that if I just do everything right, everything will work out exactly the way I want it to. And it's actually kind of an immature, Peter Panish way of viewing the world. So to kind of pull all this together, what I really see happening, recovery of the nice guy syndrome, isn't becoming a better person. It isn't, you know, somehow, you know, becoming a different person. It's really just becoming more you. It's accepting you, embracing you, loving you. Let the world see you and you letting the world come to you in the way that it comes to you and, and you know, have fun with it, dance with it, enjoy life. I love it. Fantastic. Great, great ending words. Robert, again, thank you so much for being here. Thanks for doing this. And guys, check it out. He's got a few books here on Amazon. I'm going to put some links to those in the episode show notes. And I wish anyone here the best of luck on their journey to helping become a guy who is more true to himself and no longer that, quote, nice guy. Robert, thank you so much. Trip, thank you. 